Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. the favored few have re- remained. It's good to see all of you. If you're joining online, we want to say welcome, whether you're joining on Facebook or YouTube or perhaps our own curated online church experience at live.refugeoc.com. Hey, there's some interesting things happening. We talked about it last week. If you missed last week, perchance, we had our sixth birthday celebration and family meeting. That service is, is available for, for rewatch on YouTube. I highly encourage you to do that because it's fun to just get a snapshot of everything that's happening at Refuge. We look back on a year that was amazing in all kinds of ways, good and bad, and how God has remained faithful and good to us as a community as we continue to want to make sure that we can showcase his love and his name to our community. So uh, you can find that. You can also find information online every single week if you gather with us and you link to what we call the weekly. The weekly is our online version of a bulletin. You can use your phone right now even. Go to refugeoc.com forward slash weekly. There might even be a QR code available somewhere. And then we also want to invite you to be a part of the blessing that we are to this community and beyond through your giving. You are a generous congregation, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have invested through us to see God's expansion happen all around the world. And so there are some really easy ways to continue to give through Refuge. You can do that through a secure mailbox. There's information on the screen for that. You can text the word give to a number on the screen, and uh, you'll get a response about ways to connect through your giving. And then the easiest, safest, and and cleanest way is through our online giving app. But perhaps you are even prepared to give today. Find one of the pastors, and we will make sure that your giving goes where it needs to go. And uh, there's some information online through that weekly. There are things that are going on right now that we don't want you to miss, so you'll find things on there weekly. I do want to point out, though, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, and so many of you have responded already to this thing called Royal Family Kids Camp. We told you a number of weeks ago, we got the green light from the county and through uh, the social workers that we work with, with the foster kids that we get a chance to take to camp. That's what Royal Family Kids Camp is all about. We get to take foster kids who perhaps don't have a story where camp exist in their life or happy memories or happy moments and we get to take them to what someone said the cathedral of the outdoors and you get to just show them how much God loves them gives them a chance to be a part of a summer camp experience and we get to host it this year last year 2020 we couldn't like so many things we couldn't but this year we do many of you responded you've already said hey I want to go this year you filled out the application this week we were kind of earmarking as our last week to get applications in so if you are still interested this is the week to make it happen. If you have questions, talk to me. Our camp director's here today. Margaret, you can find her. Any number of our team here at Refuge would love to answer your questions and see if you could be a part of Royal Family Kids Camp. So consider that. But you'll find all kinds of information online. Speaking of online, you might even want to join with me today reading your Bible with me online. Perhaps you have an app that you read on your phone, your tablet. Maybe you even have a computer here today. But that's an easy way to connect with us. We are in the book of Acts this morning. I told you in the prayer right, the, right before I prayed this morning that we are in the fourth 
week of Easter. Easter is not one day. Easter is a season. On the church calendar, if you look at it, Easter is many weeks long. We are heading towards the next major event that's going to take place in just a few weeks called Pentecost. And so here in the season of Easter, the stories that we tell are all about Jesus. Would make sense. You're like, aren't you at church? Isn't that what you do all the time? It's like, my kids, what are you going to be talking about today? And I say, oh, God. And they're like, okay, Dad, thanks a lot, right? Thanks for the good Christian answer. But this is the season that we showcase God's love for the world through his son and what's to come. All right, so we're in the book of Acts. We're going to drop into a story that you need background for. But I figured let's read it first. I'll give some background and then some thoughts. So if you have your Bible, whether you have a real one with pages or perhaps that uh, electronic version, go to Acts chapter 4. I told you a few weeks ago when we had Easter Sunday here at Refuge, the storyline of the day was about, obviously, Jesus getting off of the cross into the tomb and then being raised on the third day. But there's this moment that happened that I, I pointed out to you a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, that in the gospel writer moment, the historical lesson that we looked at, that after Jesus is raised from the grave, he's empty. The women go to the tomb. They find it empty. And they find this angelic being there who says, like every other good angel in the scriptures, like, do not be afraid and go tell the others. And the angel specifically said, and Peter, because Peter had messed up. Peter had made some stupid mistakes. If you read the life of, of Peter, you're like, I like that guy because I look like that guy so often. I make all kinds of mistakes. But the story we have today is where Peter is on the other side where he is after the cross, where he is so committed to Jesus that he can't help but tell stories about him. That's the story where we drop in today. And so Acts chapter 4, the beginning of the story that we will go with is beginning in verse 5 all the way to verse 12. And here is exactly where we go on this day. The next day, as it says, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Already, our senses are up. We're like, what did they do? Why are they before this council of people? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that's it. That is our section of the day here in the book of Acts. We follow what is called the lectionary, which kind of guides us through the entire readings of Scripture throughout the year. It's actually a three-year cycle to make sure that you get all of Scripture. Today, this is the New Testament reading of the day. 
So there are churches all around the world who will be reading that exact passage, and we join with them by reading it. Now, we can close the book, we could pray and be on our merry way, but you're like, why did I go through that? What's the point of this story? Why would I ever want to know about a person like Peter and John who got to be before the Sanhedrin council, and they were called to account because they had done something? Well, to understand the done something that they had done, it's helpful to go back a little bit. So if you were to look in your Bible and you were to go back a page or two, depending on how many notes are in your Bible, you would go back to the beginning of chapter 3 in Acts. In chapter 3 in Acts, we find Peter and John heading up to the temple. Now, the temple is the place to be. It is the most famous architectural place in all of the land. And so any good Jew was hanging out at the temple, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple, and we're told very specifically because the guy who's writing this is a doctor, and he loves details, and he says it was 3 p.m. in the day, and they're walking up to the temple, and they come across this lame beggar who had always been there. I'm not sure if you have regular patterns in your life and you come across people who are always there at always that time who are begging. Perhaps you have seen this kind of person all the time. This is what they encountered that day. When they got to the temple, they wondered, oh, great, what's he going to do? Is he going to do, I'm not sure if you have this nervousness, like are they going to ask me for money or whatever? And the lame beggar does exactly what we think the lame beggar is going to do. And why do we call him lame? It is not a description of his personality. It is a description of actually his physicality. That's helpful to know because we're not on a junior high, like, um, you know, outdoor like field trip. And we're like, you're a lame person. That's not what we're trying to say here. The person literally couldn't walk. It's just why he's begging at the temple. Because he knows that even in the afternoon, he can show up at the temple. And ask for money and people will give it. Because if you're a good Jew, if you're a good person, you might even respond with kindness. But have you ever been in that moment in your life? You're like, I don't know what to do right now. If I help the person, am I just enabling the person? Like, I don't even know what to do right now. And so we continue to walk right by. And John and Peter decide they're not going to walk on by. They don't even get out their wallet and throw money at the lame beggar to just get him to be quiet. They have this phrase, pretty famous. It's like, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Could you imagine being that lame beggar that day and hearing those words in the early parts of Acts chapter 3? They even asked for his attention. Like, look at me, look up here, look up here. Because they know, as we know, sometimes we're just in the business of going through our lives. We don't even look up at what's happening around us. And when John and Peter in that moment, and they pronounce healing over him, and they help him up, and they help him on his way, could you imagine what people would be doing? If it was in our day, everybody and their mother would have had their phone out. Like, oh my gosh, look at what is happening right now. The beggar, you know the one that we always see next to that gate at the temple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's getting up and walking. It would have been posted. It would have gone viral. And apparently it did. Because so many people began to gather that Peter took this moment. You know, when something's going really good, what do you do? You give a sermon. That's what Peter does. That's what he does. I love it. Like he gets people together and he reminds them that the reason that that guy has the ability to walk is because of Jesus. Because if Jesus can get off the cross and out of the grave, then he can even allow people to walk. But it doesn't go well for Peter and John. 
because it's late in the day at this point. All of the, the excitement at the temple, people are beginning to wonder, is there a new power in town? Is there something else going on here? And the, we're told at the end of chapter 3, and as we get to the beginning of chapter 4, that the priests who were on duty, now if you were a good priest, a good Levite, member of the Levite family, you would have your weekly assignment to work the temple. It didn't necessarily mean that you were holier than other people. It just meant that you were on assignment. And so you got to have your one week. And some people say, some scholars would say, and it was twice a year, and you would go for one week. So you would put in the request from work wherever you were at. You say, I got to go do my thing. Almost like we have like people in the reserves these days, in the reserve military. You're like, oh, it's my one weekend of the year, or one weekend of the month. They're going to go work the temple. Well, the people who work the temple aren't excited about the story and the message that Peter and John are telling. They're not excited about some guy who had been lame and been begging his whole life. And we're also told that he's over 40 years of age, which is good news for those of you who are over 40 years of age, that God can still do things in your life, by the way. It's really helpful to know that. Um, me amongst you, okay? So they, they, they start talking. They start telling the story that it's, it's because of Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth who, who healed this guy. Well, the people who work the temple don't like the story because that's not the story that they tell. First of all, the people in the temple are what we call Sadducees. Now, that's a version of the Jewish people. The Sadducees never believed in what was called resurrection. And when Peter and John start talking about resurrection, the priests on duty that day were like, we got to shut these guys up. And it's interesting, when you get around with Peter and John and the others in the book of Acts, slowly crowds are around them. You go back to chapter 1 of Acts, and Peter's with just a small group of them, about 120. You get to chapter 2, there's a moment where Peter gives a sermon and 3,000 come to faith. You come a little closer to where we are today, and we're told that there were 5,000 that believed, and they were just men that were counted, let alone women and children who would have been amongst the crowd. So you can imagine for the Jewish people who ran the ship that it's beginning to change course. Like, oh shoot, we no longer have power on the people. We no longer have the control over them like we thought we would have. Because they've got these guys who are showing up healing lame beggars and talking about resurrection. So what do you do that night? Well, they put Peter and John on house arrest and know full well that the next day they're going to get the Sanhedrin, the council together, and they're going to talk. And this is where we are at in this story. So when it says in verse 5, the next day the rulers, that's exactly where we find ourselves, where they're in the moment where Peter and John are on trial. Now there's a few names that are mentioned, and sometimes we read history books, you're like, that name means nothing to me. But sometimes you read these stories and you're like, is the Bible just filled with names that mean nothing? Or perhaps they have some meaning. Well, some of these names actually do mean things. So if you go to verse 6, it says, Annas the high priest. And I wonder why Luke did this. Because Luke should have known better, but maybe Luke actually did know better that Annas wasn't the high priest at this time. But Annas really called the shots. Because Annas had been high priest in A.D. roughly 6 to 15. And we're beyond that at this point. We're 
after Jesus' death and resurrection, which would put us into the AD 30s, right? So 15 plus years after Annas has been high priest, but he had such control over things that the Romans got a little worried. And remember, Rome ultimately is the one who calls the shots. And they're like, let's get rid of Annas, but we'll put someone else in place. Somehow, Annas was able to pull some strings still and got one of his own to be the high priest. We've heard names like Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a high priest, especially at the time when Jesus is crucified. But Annas has such control over things that in his lifetime, even though he's not high priest, he will have five sons and one son-in-law become high priest while he's still alive. So what is Luke doing when he says Annas was there, the high priest? Because probably for the Jewish people, the Sadducees of the day who ran the temple, they knew full well that maybe Caiaphas is the guy with the business card, but Annas is the one who calls the shots. That's really what's going on here. So it's helpful to know some of this background. We got Caiaphas there, we got John, we got Alexander, and according to scholars, no one knows who Alexander is. I looked it up this week. I'm like, who is this guy? And they're like, we don't know. He's nowhere else mentioned in Scripture. And so we just get this list. Perhaps he's just part of the high priest family. So as we go down the storyline, and they bring Peter and John in, and they accuse him. And do you recognize the question that they ask at the end of verse 7? By what power or name did you do this? By what power or what name did you do this? And again, they're on trial for healing the lame beggar guy the, night, the day before. But they're also on trial for speaking of a thing called resurrection. And that got the Sadducees worried because we don't talk about resurrection in polite circles. But for the Sadducees, they felt threatened. Which is interesting, still to this day, that's how it is. When the power brokers or the power structures are threatened, they begin to exert more control. So as we continue through the storyline, it's interesting to know how it is that Peter decides to respond. And we're told that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he says things, which I wonder for a gospel writer or a writer in the New Testament, is that just like he got really passionate. Like he got really excited and he wanted to say something. And so it's helpful as a, as a gospel writer, New Testament writer, to say, well, he's, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just began to talk, and everybody began to listen. That's why 5,000, 3,000, 120, all these numbers of people are beginning to believe this message that Peter talks about. Remember Peter? Peter, the guy that had no faith when he got out of the boat. Peter, the guy who denies Jesus three times. Peter, the guy who messes up all the time. He's the guy that tells the story to remind people that it's Jesus who has been resurrected, that it's Jesus who healed the lame guy, the beggar guy. And it's Jesus. He's the new power. But as he continues, he says something, and he quotes something. And if you're looking at a Bible, whether on your phone or perhaps you have one in front of you, you'll recognize that in verse 11, he has a quote. Now we'll go there. He says, Jesus is... The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. 
Now, this is a famous quote. It comes from Psalm 118 all the way back in the Old Testament, but Peter's not the only one who uses this. It actually gets mentioned three other places in Scripture. Mark and Luke, I believe, tell it in their Gospels, but also 1 Peter, when he writes his letter, he includes this quote. But Luke, in this moment, misquotes the quote. Because if you look back at Psalm 118, there's a word that Luke uses here that is not used in Psalm 118. Because if you go back and read Psalm 118, the quote says, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. But in our version here in Luke, what Luke is telling us in the book of Acts, the stone you builders rejected. And he is pointing with his word toward the Sadducees and the Jewish people. The people that should have gotten it. The people that should have been waking up for thousands of years to what God was up to all this time. But they have such a myopic view of what God is up to and they just put it before their own eyes. Like if we can control power, then we can control people's understanding of God. If we can control everything, then we'll be able to control the people. And the power brokers of the day were the Sadducees, the ones who ran the temple, because they're the ones who paid dividends up the chain all the way to Caesar. And speaking of Caesar, Peter is not just misquoting Psalm 118. Peter is also taking a very famous quote that would have been used all throughout the Roman Empire, and people would have known it. And this one shows up in verse 12. Here's verse 12 that we have in what we're reading today. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, that is a very nice quote. Perhaps you put it on a card you send to someone. It's sometimes people are like, I think that's a little much to say, Peter. Why would you say it like that? Don't you know that there are other people who believe other things? Well, first off, we have to understand that he's not hanging at some like, World Council of Churches moment where he's talking to people of different faiths. He's hanging out with people who should have understood, who should have gotten it for years. But when he quotes that and says that line, that line had been used by Caesar. Caesar, the guy who's in charge. Caesar, the guy who has been running the Roman Empire. And yes, they have various names because in one point we get Caesar Augustus. We get others like Tiberius and the others that get listed in the list of Caesars who run the Roman Empire. But every time there was a new Caesar, they would reassert their power and control over everything by even showing up with the phrase, there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than that of Caesar. Because Caesar Augustus, one of the originals, is the one who coined that. So when Peter shows up on this scene and says not only a misquote of Psalm 118 because he wants to catch everyone's attention, he's also saying something that everyone would have known. This phrase that would have been so popular all around Rome because Caesar is the one who's in charge. It's Caesar's the one who says this is how life is, that there's no other name under heaven than that of Caesar by which you must be saved. And Peter's like, nope, that's not how it goes. It's actually the name of Jesus. Now, why do I tell you this? Why do you care about the historical lesson? Are you just appeasing me right now? 
because I'm going down a road that makes me so excited. I love the history. I love the setting. I love the foundation because it means so much more than just opening us up and reading these eight verses. Like, oh, it's a nice story about a couple guys who shouldn't have healed a lame beggar. But at the end of the day, we have to ourselves ask ourselves the question, why are they upset that a lame beggar got healed? Because they're upset that they no longer have the power. They no longer are the ones that control everything. You step back from the text a little bit. You look, you're like, what's going on? Why in the world would we conclude this story? Because Peter is proclaiming a new reality to a people that were desperate for it. That resurrection still happens. That Jesus, it's his name that brings power, not Caesar. So he's very political right now. And he's also very cutting to a group of people that would have assumed that they controlled the shots, that they had control over everything. The Sadducees, the Jewish people, he puts them in a corner. And I read this text and I'm like, it's a nice text. It's really interesting to look at all of the background. But I'm always trying to figure out, well, what is it that I'm trying to supposed to do with that today in 2021? Because I want to be able to look back at the text and be like, I understood what it meant back then. And that might give me some understanding today. And the thing I wanted to figure out, when there was a scholar that I read this week, which basically means some smart guy that published a book, when I read something that this person said, it really clued me in to what Peter was hoping to do. Because when he is talking to these really important people, and by the way, this is the same group of people that just two to three months earlier were having Jesus on trial. The same group. It would have been fresh in Peter's mind. Fresh in Peter's mind who was hanging outside by the fire warming himself. And the girl comes next to him and says, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, woman, I don't know the man. But in this place, he's proclaiming so much about who Jesus is. All right. For me, I want to turn back to Psalm 118. And you're not going to have this up here. I'm just going to read it. There's three or four verses that are just so fascinating to me because Psalm 118 was a, a psalm about the temple. It was when people went up to the temple, they would say this psalm. And it's the psalm where we get the quote of the cornerstone being rejected. Who, you know, the, the stone that was rejected is now the cornerstone. But if you are a good Jewish person, you hear the quote of Psalm 118 and you probably have the whole psalm memorized and you would begin to filter through your mind about everything. It's not unlike hearing that one movie quote, and then it also reminds you of the entire movie. Like we were watching this moment. I don't know. I'm not going to spoil anything for those of you who haven't finished Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier. I'm not going to ruin this moment, you Marvel fans out there. But I watched the Marvel thing because my, my, she requires that I do not talk about her. But my daughter is a Marvel nerd. Like, she loves it. And so, like, Friday, it's the finale. Can we please put it on? And we're watching, and I'm catching up. I had to watch the previous week because I forgot about it. And so you can see where I'm at. But she's so excited. I'm, like, I'm going to do this with you. It's going to be great. We'll watch. Then there's someone who shows up on the screen. I'm like, oh, look at her. She's one of the actors, too. That's so cool. And then my kids are like, where do we know her from? I say one phrase, and they know exactly where she's from. 
the phrase is, I don't know, Margot. Right? Because it's the, it's the actress who plays the part in the, the movie with Chevy Chase. Because this is what Peter's doing when he mentions Psalm 118. They get the whole passage, the whole chapter in their mind. And this is what Psalm 118 says in a different section. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That's the section of Psalm 118 that caught my attention this week as I opened it up. Because the Jewish people, especially Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the others from the high priest's house, would have known that psalm. And what Peter's trying to say is, there's a new power in town, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who healed the lame guy yesterday. Jesus is the one, when we speak of resurrection, thousands of people begin to flock. Jesus is the name that changes everything. And so for Peter and John, who were standing there, and they probably wondered, should they be afraid right now? But Peter, who quaked in his boots months before, could not gain the courage to speak one word of saying, yeah, 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 I'm with Jesus, is now going full bore out their efforts to get the word out that Jesus is it. What does that mean for you and for me? There's a sense that sometimes we hope and we want that we want our world to look a certain way. We can, we can all imagine what that looks like and means, and we all have different versions of perhaps what that means. But sometimes we, as a group of people, and I'll lump us all into a group called Christians, we assume that if we have more power in this world, then God is made known more. But the interesting thing is the people that Peter and John were talking to that day had the most power in that entire region. They're the ones that even controlled everything. They're the ones that not just controlled the temple and controlled what happened and the sacrifices. If the Roman governor of the day needed advice on how to do something, they would have contacted this group of people. And if you remember the story about Jesus, it's actually that group of people that encouraged Pilate to say, let's, let's release Barabbas and let's crucify Jesus. So we assume that if we have more power in this world, then God is made known better. And that's not how it works. It's actually the other way around. God doesn't need us to have more power in the world's sense of power. God needs us to be the people that go around reminding people that he's not on the cross anymore, that the grave is empty, that he heals lame people, that he actually loves foster kids, that he wants marriages restored, that he wants brokenness in our world to get fixed because God is in the business of turning the world back right. And that's what we tell the story about. It's the power of the name of Jesus that sometimes in the world that we live in, and not in the world that you and I live in all the time, but somewhere out there, there are moments when Jesus is proclaimed and people are amazed. But we go through our emotions, and I wonder how often I probably better resemble the Sadducees and the temple leaders where I have rejected 
the story because I want control and I want power and I want to be able to fix it all. And God's saying, Brent's saying, instead of that, would you be available for what the kingdom is doing? The kingdom is alive and well and moving whether I want it to or not. And for Peter and for John that day, they reminded the powers that be, the people that should have gotten it. That it's the name of Jesus that changes everything. So perhaps you're here, and it's been a while since you've allowed the powerful name of Jesus to affect you. And I want to lump myself in with that because I don't want to ever get caught going through the motions. I said that to our worship team right before we started today. I said the antagonists of the story that we read in Scripture from Acts chapter 4, the antagonists are caught guilty going through the motions. Because they're really used to, let's just go, let's just do it, let's have the people come to the temple, they'll do their, they'll do their sacrifices, we'll have our feast throughout the year, we'll do it. And it's going to be fine, because that's how we've built this society, this is how it works. Let's just go through the motions, let's just have church every Sunday, and then we'll forget about what God and his kingdom are doing until next Sunday, when some pastor or preacher or teacher mentions it. I want to see the power of God Monday through Saturday as well. And I want you and me to be a part of that. So wherever we go, whatever place that we step foot in this week, God is on mission with you. He wants you and me to share the good news. He wants us to be a part of him fixing the world and putting it back to right. Because there's not a person amongst us that wouldn't say, there's some brokenness in this world. Oh, yeah. It, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Because we sense the brokenness. We yearn for it to be fixed. And we can either be in one of two things. We can either say it's never going to get fixed. Or perhaps maybe one day God will fix it. I don't know how he's going to. But I want to present a third option. That the powerful name of Jesus is in the business of fixing it even now. Would we be available to proclaim his name? To showcase his power? To remind the world that he wants to reclaim, redeem, and restore everything that's broken? And you and I get to be a part of that. That's the third option, and I think it's the best option. That I don't just sit back and say, hopefully one day, God, you're going to get to it. But God's saying, I'm up to it now, and I want you to be a part of it. Would you help the expansion of the kingdom move forward? And that's what we sense our calling here at Refuge is, that we want to commit ourselves to things that expand God's kingdom. And it's going to look messy, and it's not going to look all pretty every time. It's going to get funky and weird because the world is broken. But if we can be an outpost of the kingdom here at 308 South LaSalle Street, then we can showcase and show forth God's love to this community and beyond and just be amazed at how powerful the name of Jesus still is because he's good. Oh, and his goodness needs to be made known. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have as a people to gather, to open up your word and your scriptures and to be amazed at what you did back then, but continue to be amazed at what you're doing now. 
I pray for us as a church and as a people that we would remain faithful, not just faithful to going through the motions, but faithful to your kingdom and to what you are up to in this world. We see the brokenness around us, and we want to tell a different story. We don't want to be lumped into either side of the aisle. We want to be lumped into the kingdom. Help us, God, to know the best way to do that, to remind this world that you are good, and you are alive, and you are active, and the grave is empty. That changes everything. Help us to tell that story better this week. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing one final song with our worship team about God's goodness. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.